0: As we go through our series on the Ten Commandments, tonight we come to commandment number three. If you've been following this series of podcasts, you remember the first two commandments. Uh, The first one we did was, um, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment God ever gave his people. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is very similar. We looked at that last time. And it says, you shall not make for yourself a graved or a carven image and then bow and worship down to those images. And we talked about how important that was. And there's ways specifically even today that people can do that. And tonight we're going to look at the third commandment. And if you can tell, the commandments are building on top of one another. And so you really need to understand commandment number one if you're going to understand number two. You're going to need to understand number two and number one if you're going to understand number three. And so if you have your Bibles, the third commandment, Obviously, it's found in Exodus 20, and it's this time it's only in one verse. It's verse 7, and I'm just going to read it. This is what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment, talking about how important the name of the Lord is. And I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about the name of God. I want to talk about how important that is. And I want to talk about what it means to take his name in vain, because that's exactly what the commandment says. Don't do that. And again, our idea through this podcast is to look at these commandments in a fresh light, not to change the meaning of them, of course, but to think practically, how do we obey these today? What are ways of even breaking these commandments today? So we're going to do that. We're going to look at the importance of God's name. And then second of all, we're going to talk about what it means specifically to take God's name in vain and to even hollow God's name. So let's do the first thing first. Let's talk about the importance of God's name. I can remember, ever since I was a little kid, that this was ingrained in me from my parents. I remember one of the first sin struggles I ever had as a young boy was taking God's name in vain. You know, swearing and using God's name as a curse word—a really bad thing to do. And as a little boy, I just hung, out, hung around the neighborhood kids, went to school, and a lot of people would say, you know, OMG, things like that. And I started to just say that. I just started to make it part of my vocabulary. And I can remember the first time my dad heard that come out of my mouth, and he was, oh my word, he was very upset with me. And he he made it very clear to me, Todd, you do not take God's name in vain. And my dad doesn't often speak to me in that fashion. So when he did, it was, wow, okay, that was important. You know, but I didn't get it right away. And, you know, a few times after that, I'd say it again. and It seemed like every single time I said it, my parents came down on me even harder. Todd, listen to me. You do not take God's name in vain. You cannot say this. You cannot do this. And so I remember from a very early age, learning that, you know, sort of in a hard way, God's name is not to be used in vain and I was a young kid. I didn't truly understand. I just knew how important it was that I didn't say those things. I didn't take God's name in vain. Well, if you fast forward a couple of years, I actually have even a funny story. Um, <laughs> coming from the lesson my parents told me about not taking God's name in vain, I was a big baseball card collector. And this story is kind of funny and weird, but maybe you can understand the importance of this ingrained in me as a young boy. Um... As a big baseball card collector, I you know, thousands of baseball cards, and I'm shuffling through them one day as a you know eight nine year old, and I come across a baseball card of a man named Jesus, you know a Spanish guy named Jesus, Mexican guy, and as a little boy, I don't I don't know any difference. I look at the name and it looks like Jesus to me, and I I, I get very alarmed by this. You know, I'm looking at a baseball player's name and his name is Jesus, and I'm really worried at that moment, going, Oh no! this man doesn't know. This guy doesn't know that you're not supposed to use God's name in any other fashion than towards God. And he has a name that is named Jesus. And I didn't know as a young boy, but I I remember thinking, and maybe even having a conversation with my sister going, Christy, I need to tear this card up. We need to get rid of this card and being very concerned by that. And so when I got home, I talked to my parents and I showed them the card, very worried. And my parents were able to explain to me, you know, it's it's a little bit different in their culture. You know, and his name is Jesus. and Anyways, I'm not here to talk about the specifics of that. But I remember as a young boy, having that ingrained in me, that we do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And again, I didn't understand the gravity of that. I just remember hearing the commandment and getting a sense that this is really important. Well, the first thing I said I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about how important God's name is, and I don't have a lot of time to completely unlock it. I just want to look at it from two passages of scripture, and if you have your Bibles, and I don't know if you're able to, go to Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to just read a portion of this for you. This is God dealing with the children of Israel, and it's sort of a harsh passage, Um, he's, he's, he's talking to them about mercy and forgiving them and things like that in the beginning of the passage. And then about verse 16, he sort of says something to them that is really important. And I just want you to listen to it. And so if you, again, if you have your Bibles, it's going to be uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're going to be starting in verse 16. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual, menstrual impurity. So I poured up my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. So you can tell God is very upset here. And he you know, enacted judgment on some people there verse 20 but when they came to the nations wherever they came they profaned my holy name in the peop- and the people said of them these are the people of the lord and yet they had go they had to go out of his land verse 21 but i had concern for my holy name which the house of israel had profaned among the nations to which they came so israel did something really bad here they profaned the name of the lord they represented the Lord very poorly they had God's name upon their lives and they lived completely contrary to what God desired and we're going to talk about that in a little bit how how that's is possible today in our age um, but if the children of Israel did that they had God's name everybody knew you know that the children of Israel had the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob you know this God that was performing unbelievably mighty deeds and you know winning battles for the children of Israel against some incredible armies. And yet the children of Israel get to this point where they're living completely contrary to what God's people should be living. And in doing so, they took God's name in vain. When people looked at the children of Israel, they saw these wicked deeds and they assumed their God must be okay with that or their God must be like that. And imagine how horrible that would be. And so God does something. In fact, God has to sort of defend himself here. And that's what he does. He says, you know, for the sake of my holy name, which the, Israel, the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, I came to defend. And I'm going to keep reading here a little bit. In verse 22, it says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And then he goes on to explain to them how he's going to cleanse them and clean them. And he's going to do so not for their sake, not primarily. He's going to do it for the sake of God's holy. Name because the children of Israel made God look bad. They made his name look bad. So God comes in this defense type role, this even offense type role, and now is going to clear up his name. And so he's going to do some incredibly merciful and forgiving acts toward the Israelites, but it's not really about the Israelites at this moment. It's about God's name getting back to being holy in the eyes of the people, the eyes of the nations. And I just think that's a wonderful passage of understanding how important God's name is. That even when his own people, you know, do some really wicked things and horrible things, God shows mercy to them, not because they deserve it, of course not, but because his name is at stake. And because people are looking at the children of Israel and making assumptions about their God, based on the wicked deeds that they're doing. And you just have to read this passage sometime. I'm not able to read the entire thing, but think about God's holy name, that he had to sort of vindicate his holy holy name here because of how poorly it was taken in vain. So that's really heavy. That's really a sad thing to think about, that the children of Israel went to that degree and that God had to sort of step in and, and vindicate and defend his holy name. But he did. In fact, if you think about the gospel, God kind of did it again. You know, his people, I mean, the people he created, even the Jews, Gentiles, of course, were living ungodly. And people can make assumptions about God based certainly upon the Jews. Going, oh, you know, well, their God must, again, be okay with evil. Or, you know, he must not be as good. And of course, think about how evil that is to ever think such a thing about our God. God has no inclusion whatsoever in anything that is unholy or wicked. He is always righteous. He is always good. He is always holy. And yet, his people did and went out and completely prostituted themselves and, you know, made a train wreck of their lives. And now God's in a position. To either cast them off, which he could have done, or cleanse them, fix them, heal them. And of course, we know by Christ Jesus, he did that. He sent his son. But I think you need to understand that that the primary reason wasn't about the people. It was about God's glory. It was about God's holy name. It was about having a people who love him and live holy and obey him and represent him well and if the jews were going to do that he was going to find gentiles if the gentiles were going to do that he was going to find rocks he was going to make a people for himself that represent his name well okay we don't have a ton of time to get into that but i need you to consider that everything god does upon this earth primarily is about his own name everything christ jesus is the same thing in fact the second passage i want us to look at is philippians i want us to you know zoom ahead into the new testament this is a passage we're going to be more familiar with. That's Philippians 2. And this time I want to think specifically about the name of Jesus. Uh, because again, this is, this is the entire gospel, you know. Um, Jesus Christ, you know, embodies the entire gospel. And so, this is what it says in Philippians 2 to, of course, the uh, the Philippian church here. It says in verse 5, I'll read verses 5 to 11. He says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not con equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In Ezekiel, you can tell how important God's name was. In Philippians, we found out how important Jesus' name is. That when Jesus obeyed God and went to the cross and resurrected and completely fulfilled God's will, for the sake of his people, so that he could redeem his people, again, for his holy name. He gave Jesus the name above all names, which is Jesus. That's the name we love and and speak of. And that's the name he gave him. Because that, that name is holy. That name is unlike any name that's ever been given. In fact, on the last day, it's going to the, the utterance of that very name is going to cause every single person to falter to their knees and confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord, because that's what that name requires. It's just going to happen, whether, whether you want to or not. One day, you're just going to hear the name of Jesus, and every single person on earth, under the earth, in heaven, will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So what I'm trying to do is set the table here for how important the name of God is, how important the name of our Lord Jesus is, so that we understand the gravity of this commandment. And I wish I had more time to dive into this, but we can only take a peek at it tonight before we get into the practical ideas of how we take God's name in vain. So I would love you to do some homework and dig into this more, but you need to consider how important and holy the name of God is. It's going to be a great thing for you, especially as we look into how we practically obey and even seek not to disobey the third commandment here. But let's transition here. We're not going to talk about how God's name can be taken in vain. Again, I think we know one way. Um, If you're anything like me, the way that you're thinking of God's name being taken in vain is when God's name is used as a curse word. You know, you hear that a lot, don't you? Um, In the public, in the secular environments, you know, you see it on media, God's name is used as a curse word. You know, something startles them or something alarms them or they're disgusted by something. So they just take God's name and use it as a curse word. Well, obviously that's taking God's name in vain. That's not good. We shouldn't do that. So that's a big one. That's the first one that I learned is don't take God's name and use it towards anything else, especially. Especially a curse word. That's like the worst thing you can do. And so that's definitely one way we can take God's name in vain. That one still stands. And this one is all over the media. This this name that to Christians is very hollowed to this world, to the secular environment is completely the opposite. They drag it through the mud. And one of the ways we, we need to think about taking God's name in vain obviously is never doing that. Never taking God's name and using it flippantly or using it obviously as a curse word. That's thats horrible. God's name should be revered and hollowed in our minds and in our hearts. And I think another way, even if I can go this far, is to say is be careful how you entertain yourself. If you entertain yourself by watching things that drag God's name through the mud, the Lord's name through the mud, wouldn't that be similar? We don't have to be entertained by those things. We don't have to choose to watch things that take the name of our Lord in vain. Yes, of course, you could say, well, I'm not the one taking it. You know, I don't think we need to get, you know, legalistic with this thing. But if you understand how important the name of our God is, and then you're being entertained by a show or a movie that takes that name and slanders it, takes that name and uses it as a curse word, takes that name and use it flippantly or as a joke or as a punchline. Do you think God's honored by that? Do you think there's any way around that? When you could tell in Ezekiel that he was basically going to either crush the Israelites or show mercy to them simply because his name is at stake. Do you ever think that God would be possibly honored when we are entertained by someone who is taking God's name in vain? And I'm going to leave that up to your own discretion. It doesn't say specifically. We have to use our own minds and logic here. But to me, that one's very crystal clear. Never take the name of God in vain with your own speech. And I would even say go as far as to not be entertained by those who do. You can make a choice. You can make a choice whether to turn something on, turn it off. Whether you hear God's name taken in vain, you then have a choice. Or you can even look ahead of time to see if movies and TV shows do that before you even watch it. There's ways to even do that. But I want you to understand that that's one way to take God's name in vain today. And I want that to be very important. Don't let God's name be taken any lower than what it really is. Holy. Holy. It's not like any other name. And if it needs to be very hollowed in our mind. Um, another way, you know, people can take God's name in vain, and I don't know if any of you guys struggle with this, but when people take God's name to to firm up an oath, you know, saying things like, I swear to God, I, I know my word isn't enough, so for you to believe me, I'm going to swear by God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't take God's name and use it to firm up an oath. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, don't make oaths. Don't even make them. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no and don't say any more beyond that. And if you can't live by your word, then it's your problem. But just simply say yes, simply say no. Do not take God's name and try to firm up an oath with it. Don't do that. God's name is not meant for your benefit, not meant for your welfare. It is meant for God's name to remain holy and reverent and hallowed. And you remember when Jesus taught us to pray in the, in, in the gospel? That's the first thing he says. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing he says, hallowed be your name. And I want us to think about that. Another way I thought of is um, taking God's name in vain is keeping the company of those who misuse God's name. That kind of goes along with the entertainment thing. If you're keeping the company of those who drag God's name through the mud and you don't defend it, I mean, again, I don't I don't want to say you're you're guilty of it, but you're close. You're close to spending time with people who drag God's name through the mud without defending that name. God would stand up for his own name. God's people should stand up for God's name. And even if it's unbeliever, we don't have to do it in a harsh and you know, mean way, but that is a name that we should stand up for. That when God's name is dragged through the mud, whether it be a work environment or just hanging out with a friend, we we should stand up for that name and say, Don't do that. You know, that really offends me. When you take God's name and drag it through the mud, I'd really, really prefer if you didn't do that. In fact, if you're gonna continue to do that, I'm not gonna spend time with you anymore. That's a way to hollow God's name and to keep it holy. Um, I'm going to leave you with one last one before we close up tonight, a a way that we can take God's name in vain. And this one's incredibly important, and I need you to hear me on this one. You can tell in Ezekiel 36 that the children of Israel took God's name in vain because he specifically said they did. And the way that they did it is they had God's name upon their life by being the children of Israel. Because Israel, their God, was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were God's people. So every single tribe and nation knew that Israel belonged to God. So when Israel lived wickedly and sinfully, that reflected upon God. And so I think one of the most profound ways to take God's name in vain is calling yourself a Christian and living contrary to God's commandments. Because again, what you're doing is you're taking the name of God, putting it on your life and your lifestyle. And then the way that you live now represents God. So if you're living contrary to God's commandments, you're representing God poorly, therefore taking God's name in vain. And I think that one's incredibly obvious, incredibly logical, that if you have God's name upon your life as saying, I'm a Christian, I follow God, I follow Jesus, and then you live contrary to how God expects you to live. As a practice, as a theme, you're taking God's name in vain. You are making God's name look unholy. You're making it look poor. You're making it look like maybe it's like every other name, and it's not. God's name is holy. God's name is to be kept holy. It's to be kept hollowed, and it should be incredibly important to us so that the the Christian calling that we have is something of a cost it is when you say i'm going to follow jesus you basically say i'm going to cast off all things that once had me that once enslaved me that i once chased and went after and i'm going to give myself fully and only to christ and if you do and i you know everybody calls himself a christian today it's like such a broad term I'm a Christian, you know, because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I believe these set of things. I'm a Christian because I just say so. I'm a Christian because I wear a necklace around my neck. I'm a Christian because I don't know what else I would be. And so the term Christian means nothing today. It's like you need to firm that up. Well, what kind of Christian are you? And so when you say that you're a Christian, I follow Jesus Christ. And then someone peers into your life and goes, huh, you're a Christian, huh? So is God okay with sin? Uh, You're a Christian, huh? Interesting. So your your lifestyle must represent something about God. And I'll leave you a little bit of illustration here to make the point. Maybe you guys have heard me say this before, but when I was engagement ring shopping for my wife, I must have went to, you know, five or six different places. I wanted to get Janine a really special ring. I wanted to get her something that was going to, you know just be an awesome picture of my love for the rest of our lives. Something she could look down and just treasure anyways. So I I must've went to five or six different places. I was, I was really, you know, picky that day about getting Janine exactly the ring that I thought was going to represent my love for her. And so when I went to to the ring stores, um, I was noticing all these amazing rings and I was a little overwhelmed going, my goodness, how am I going to pick one of these? And, I, you know, I, I st- asked, started asking the lady if she would bring out ring after ring after ring so I could see them up close because I was kind of skeptical. I looked at these cases, these glass cases they were in with these perfect lighting and these you know smudge free glass cases. and I was thinking to myself, okay, they look great in the case, but that's their job. Their job is to make these r- rings look brilliant. So in order for me to really tell if this ring is beautiful, I want to see it with my own eyes up close, so I kept asking the lady to bring out ring after ring after ring, and she was very nice about it. She bring brought as many rings as I wanted to see, and I noticed something. As soon as I brought the ring before my face and my eyes, I noticed something kind of shocking. The ring is brilliant. <laughs> the ring is amazing, and I was going. I was kind of taken back by that. Going, oh, okay. Well, then it's not, you know, it's not a facade. These rings actually are brilliant. And then I kind of turned around my thinking going, now I understand what the glass cases are. The glass cases are simply there to represent the rings well. The lighting in those glass cases is there to represent the rings well. Because actually, if you take the rings out and put them in front of your face, they actually become even more brilliant. So actually, them being in the glass case is actually a worse version of what the ring really is. But I was skeptical. I was thinking, oh, the glass cases are a better representation. No, really, the glass cases were just in the unique opportunity to just represent the ring as best as it could. While being secure, of course. You know, you don't want to just leave the rings hanging out anywhere. And then I thought about it going, wow, those those workers have to really make sure those glass cases are smudge-free. Because if I'm coming here looking for an engagement ring and I see smudges all over the glass case, I'm thinking... Oh, there's gotta be something wrong with those rings. Those rings aren't that brilliant. I maybe I'll go to a different store. I was expecting something brilliant. I'm seeing the smudges all over that. Therefore the ring must be poor looking. Maybe the ring isn't brilliant. I'm not gonna spend all my money on a ring that's not brilliant and perfect and glorious. Same thing with the light. If the light had been, you know, poor and dim, and I'm looking at the ring going, really? You know, two, three thousand dollars, and I'm looking at the ring going, that's all it is? But And if I had asked the lady to bring out the ring, even if the light was poor, even if the, there were smudges on the glass case, I would have seen a brilliant ring. But if I was just looking and gazing and walking by going, huh, those rings don't look that great to me, I would have left with a bad impression of those rings. And do you see what, what, what I'm saying here? When you carry the name of Jesus and God upon your life and you live poorly, you live disobediently, You live unholy. What you're doing is representing God poorly. Just like the cases would have done if they were smudged. Just like the lighting would have done if it was dim. And we can't do that. We can't do that because then people can make assumptions, wrong assumptions about our God, who you and I know is brilliant. He's holy. He's awesome. He's unlike any person ever 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 god is unique and special and holy he's just he's just to be hollowed and feared and loved but if people look at our lives and they're full of smudges and sins and you know inconsistencies and they're looking at us going really you're a christian and that's your life i'm sorry i don't really want your god Think how bad that is. That is taking the name of God in vain. That's a really important one. And God can vindicate His name, can't He? He can vindicate it by destroying those who are wicked, who are representing it poorly. He can even show mercy to those people and clean up those people without without their can, you know, without their agreeing to it, um, just because He wants to clear up His name. But we are in the heavy responsibility of representing the Lord well or poorly. Now, I can't represent God as he really is. Truly, I can represent him as best as I can. But for you to see how brilliant God is, you need to see him up close, just like I did with the rings. But I can represent him properly with a holy lifestyle, with an obedient lifestyle. And I can also represent him poorly by a disobedient lifestyle and an unholy lifestyle. And a lifestyle contrary to the commandments of God, exactly what we're talking about here. So the commandment is, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And it says, in, it says in Exodus twenty, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. You are not going to be able to chalk that up to, oops, I didn't know. Oh, that's that's a big deal. Oh, I should I shouldn't have done that with my speech. I shouldn't have been hanging around people like, I should have been watching things like that. You know, I shouldn't, you're right. I shouldn't have called myself a Christian and then lived a sinful lifestyle. Sorry, God. Yeah, I guess I wasn't aware of that one. He's going to go wrong. Nope. I'm not going to hold you guiltless for that. You should have known how important my name was. I made everything about my name. If you knew anything about me, you knew how important my name is. Sorry, you're not getting off on that one. So it's really serious, people. And we need to really think about how we treat the name of God. Don't use his name for any other purpose than to hollow it, than to keep it holy, than to represent him well, than to speak as highly of him as you possibly can. Because every time you misuse God's name, you represent him poorly. Every time you hang around with people who misrepresent God's name, And you don't stand up for it. Every time you entertain yourself with people who slander God's name and drag it through the mug, you represent God poorly. Every time you call yourself a Christian and convince people that you're a Christian and live a sinful lifestyle, you take his name in vain. And I need to be careful about that. And you need to be careful about that. We need to be careful not to break the third commandment to keep his name holy. And I remember what I said about the first two commandments are helping us build, number three, the first one is have no other gods before me. I am the one true God, he says. Number two is don't make anything with your hands and then serve and worship it like it's God because that's stupid, that's silly. There's nothing like God. And then number three is don't take God's name in vain. God's name is to be revered and feared and hollowed and kept holy. And I hope we listen to that tonight. I hope we realize how important that is for God's name to be to be to be kept holy in our lives, so that people see us and hear us and watch our lifestyle and go, "What an amazing God they must have." That's a God I need to check out. And so I hope that stays with you tonight. Think about that tonight. Do an inventory of your life and your heart and your speech and what you watch and who you hang out with and especially the characteristics of your lifestyle. And if you're not representing Christ well and you don't know what to do and you're living just contrary to God's commandments, it's best to take his name off your lifestyle until you can figure that out. Don't call yourself a Christian until you truly understand what that means and God gives you the power to live by that. Thanks for listening. I hope this has been encouraging to you. We will look at commandment number four next time, Lord willing. Thanks again for listening.